0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: In last week's Parshat Moshe is commissioned, right? He's commissioned at the burning bush uh, by God. And we have the going of Moshe to the people and talking about um, freeing them. And it did not go well, right? It did not go very well at all for Moses because the people weren't able to hear him. We're going to talk. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But that—that's what happens at the end. And remember, Pharaoh makes their their labor worse and takes away their straw, and they still have to make the bricks. But they some of their resources are taken away, so they are not happy with Moses and Aaron at all. Uh, and and you can imagine what Moses. Experiences, right, in that in that encounter and in that moment. So this week's parsha opens uh, at this scene between God and Moshe, and God speaks to Moshe by Yomer Elav, Ani Yudhe God speaks to Moses and says to him, "I am Yudhe Vavhe. I appeared to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as El Shaddai, but did not make myself known to them by my name Yudhe Vavhe." There are many scholars, and if we go back to where uh, to, we go back to the bush, many scholars point to that moment where God says, "I am YHWH, the God of your ancestors," as the moment that God tells Moshe who he is. That's the mo- moment Moshe finds out that he's Hebrew. Is it God reveals God's self and says, "I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov." Um, which I love that interpretation because it means until that moment, everything Moshe has done is not because he's a Hebrew; it's because he's he feels the outrage at the injustice of what's happened, you know, to this Israelite that he saves from the task semester. Um So here's another occurrence of this idea that I am Yehovah who appeared to Abraham, Yitrach, and Yaakov, but not like this, right? That's what this verse seems to be suggesting. I appeared to them as El Shaddai, not Yudhei Rabbi, I ask this say
0: every year why do we say Yudhei rather than sounding it out?
1: So, do, do, you, do you read Hebrew, Reuben? Uh, do you read Hebrew? Try
0: and read it.
1: Because the answer depends on if you can read Hebrew, right? Because if I write I this,
0: much,
1: yeah. you can read that much. All right, so sound that out for me. Have,
0: oh, that, that,
1: sound that, 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 it out. Yeah. Go ahead and say it. Jehovah. No. We don't have a J. There's no J in Hebrew. Jehovah. Jehovah. All right. So, but that there's one Vav. So it's either an O or a V. Which is it? You can't have them both.
0: Jehovah. Jehovah. Jehovah.
1: Okay, but you're putting. So you're putting a vowel here. Right. right. There's no vowels. And those consonants, without vowels, are impossible to sound out. There, there is no sound for this. This is the literally the ineffable name of God. What does ineffable actually mean? Impossible to say. You, you can't say this. It's not pronounceable. So that most scholars believe that this is a, um, not an acronym. What do you call it when you combine, you know, different? Parts of words into something. There's not a, there's not a word for what I'm trying to say. I don't think. <laughs> right. It's like there isn't a word for it. Um, so m- most scholars agree that this is instead of being a proper name that one is to say, it is an indication of the nature of God.
0: So Rabbi the vowels in the
1: Torah. Correct correct so even if but even if you try to punctuate this how would you do that what put a a kamats there then what do you do yah 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 there's no what you put you put another one here yahava like it, there's no right there's it's not easily pronounceable and we believe that it was not meant to be but isn't that the point that, so that's the point point. So, and why and Remember who says this word? Who who uses this name for God out loud? God, Out loud. <laughs> okay. Who says it? The high priest. The high priest. Once a year. On Yom Kippur. Otherwise, it is never said. It is not allowed to be said. What does the priest say? We don't know. Okay. That tradition is not preserved. What the priest said. Right when the priest said this. But most people believe it is... And, and I I love this interpretation, is that it is the letters, when you, what's the word for to be? So how do you say was? How do you say is? How do you say will be? Okay. All right. So, right? If you look at, do you see this?
0: Mm-hmm. That's too light, we can't
1: read it. You can't read it? Okay, so here's the yud for will be. Here's the vav from is, right? Um, and you've got the he's, right, in all of them. So yud he vav he is an amalgamation of haya hove yihie. Was, is, and will be. It is not. It is about God. It is not a proper name the way people had proper names for gods in ancient Egypt, in Canaan. That, that God, when God reveals God's self as yod Vavhe, God is saying, you're asking the wrong question when you ask what's my name to Moshe, right? Moshe asked it last week. We didn't get there, but asked, what, who will I say sent me? And God answers, Eyeh, Asher, Eyeh. I will be that which i will be you're asking the wrong question moses you're asking an egyptian question are you ra are you isis are you ishtar are you right who who are you it's the wrong question in terms of what's my name you want to know my name is was always will be it's about being capital b existence capital e you you need if you want to know me you need to know something about how I manifest in the world, not what's my name.
0: Um, I have a question. I've read, of course, the Midrash about the olive and the bet and starting the Torah, but it seems like hay is given a lot of importance to use it twice in God's own naming of Himself. Are there any Midrash on that other than what you just
1: There's lots of Midrashim that deal with hay <coughs> being, you like, that it's added to Sarai. Huh. Right? The yud drops, the hay goes in. Sarah. Avraham gets a hay. Yeah. Right? It goes from Avram to Avraham. Right. right? So that that hay is an indicator, right, of Godly of God's name. God's name, right? Of right, attachment to God. It's the, it's the breath, right? So And so the other thing some people say is that this is unpronounceable because it's about breath. Right? Mm-hmm. That it's, and that um, my, one of my teachers, a blessed memory, <laughs> Tikva, Dr. Tikva Freimarkensky, said that. If you are in the desert and there is no sound around you, which is often the case in the desert—if you've been in any kind of real desert—there's no noise, and that what you hear is the wind rushing through. And of course, this is a mountain experience, right? Buffet was the god of the mountain, so this is a mountain god. So when you're listening to the wind moving through, you know, a mountainous region, it's Yahuwah, Yahuwah. and that it's the sound in the desert that. Of right, the, of that of when moving of air moving that makes this sound and that becomes identified as the deity of that place. So, um, but but really looking at the etymology, it, I, I just to think you can't ignore that it's all these forms of is to be. George,
0: my recollection from Peter in the late '40s is that two things: one, when we saw it, uh, when we say Adnoli, and the second thing is. I remember being taught there was no verb to be in Hebrew. So, has this changed in modern Hebrew and recent interpretation? We
1: don't in Hebrew use the verb to be the way we do in English. There is a verb for it, we don't use it. Shma Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. There's no haya. God is one. We don't say is one. We say Adonai Echad. The is drops, right? It isn't. It isn't there, right? Um, so, but there is a verb for existence, to exist or to not exist. It's there, it just isn't used the way we say it in English.
2: But the, I mean that's biblical. But in conversation, don't we use haya?
1: It depends what you're trying to say. Well, but you true. don't say I mean, is. We don't say the book is on the table. We say hasefer al hashulchan, the book on the table. You, there's no is there, but you you would say who hayah he was sick, right? Akshav thank God, But um, right, who who hayah, he was, and then you say something. It's only
2: when tense matters that you use a verb for it to be. When well, when you're saying the book is on the table. Um, you'd have to clarify that it was or it will this afternoon be. But
1: otherwise, it's the present book and table. I know, I need to, I, need to, I don't want to say something wrong, but um, <laughs> grammatically, I'm not sure, because in, you, when you're using verbs in Hebrew, you, you, the form of the verb tells you its future, mm-hmm. right? You conjugate the verb for the Same future. Will be isn't how you identify something happening in the future. It's the conjugation of the verb, verb.
0: Right. Right.
1: right. Yes.
0: From yes. Um, why does God not reveal Himself to the
1: Ah? Painters? Thank you, Sheldon, for bringing us back. So this is. Are you telling me this marker that color is too light? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, also this thing is like listing backwards, so I could bring it up. So. Um. So why is God not known to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov as yod Hey vav Why is God known as something else? So, Sheldon, what do you think? You started this. I, I've read that
0: this is the first time that God says uh, he's the only God. Up to that time, uh, Israelites believed in...
1: So, God never says God is the only God. Never. Doesn't happen in the Bible. Doesn't
0: this say? What does it say? I'm your God.
1: I'm your God.
0: I'm your God. And I'm the God of your ancestors. That's all it says.
1: It does not say anything about there's no other gods. Don't you worry about those other gods. They're not your gods. I am your God. Right? So, that's a very important distinction. Right? So. Um, well, why wait until this time to say that? Right. So that's where we're going next. Was Sheldon's
0: point that, uh, Elohim, about the plurality of, of
1: Elohim? No. I think Sheldon's point is about why does it say that th- they didn't know God as yod heh vav Okay. So why now? Why? What's happening now that's different?
0: But what was also confusing me is that, that Elohim was used, which was plural. Mm-hmm for a name of
1: God right it's really gods right unless you read it like this if you, if you read it like this it's gods plural if you read it like this it's the collective singular I'm making that grammatical term up um, so when you say when you say the seas, right S-E-A-S the seas. You don't mean many seas. You mean w- the waters of right. Mm-hmm. It's a plural singular. The waters parted. It doesn't mean multiple waters. It means that waters a it's multiplicity a kind of singularity.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's
0: like I'm all of
1: What? It's like I'm all over. Yes, right. So it's kind of the collective. Yes, gods, like I I represent all the former pantheon, I, is now me, right? And remember, El is the chief god in Canaan. So Elohim, right, they're, you know, they're all here in me. Yes. I actually want
0: to get
1: on. I, I, who knows? Okay. <laughs> but when we, when we consider or try to
0: understand the uh uh-huh. as past,
1: present, future, uh-huh.
0: that is totality, Yes. It's easy to want to interpret that that God is saying, "I am everything of all time and space. Yes. Mm-hmm. I am the breath that infused man with his life." Yes. And so that is me. I'm, I'm trying to decipher what the difference between the nature of God that is being given to us is different from "I am your God," because that's back to identity. That's back to a. a, a
1: So, you other folks can have a wind god and a storm god and a lightning god. Your god is all of it is a unified unified manifestation of everything that always has been and always will be. And that's that's who you need to worry about being in relationship to, not this one and that one and this one and that one. I
0: mean, outside of when you start looking at Eastern teachings and whatever, there is quantum physics, there is this unified. that science is now in terms of the story that science is now wants to help you see the truth in the nature of this thing
1: that's been identified for us 100% and so those of us who stand up to people who say the Bible has nothing to say to us it's 3,000 year old trash it's a universal truth I'm like excuse me every single wisdom tradition contains within it universal truth and it's our people's way of expressing it but 100% And and that is what is moving and exciting always to be in confronting Torah, right, is when we uncover something that we go, oh my gosh, quantum physics is still trying to figure out how to talk about it. Guess what? You can't really talk about it. You can talk about it, but ultimately, wave, particle, particle, wave, like, talk all you want, but like, really, it's ineffable. It's beyond our ability to really Articulate, And I believe that is one of the gems of our ancient tradition and heritage, Is that we've been told early on. That's what you need to worry about is the ineffability factor <laughs> like that. That's what you need to focus on the totality, totality that is beyond naming that is beyond words. That's what you Israelites need to be in relationship to. Now, that's back to Sheldon's top. idea of why now? Yeah. So, um, so possibly one thing is that each, each name for God also has a certain characteristic, like has a certain, gets used in certain ways and, and is interpreted by the rabbis to have a certain quality. And Yudhei Bavhei is a name for God that first of all is about the totality, uh, and the hugeness, but they also tie it to the quality of faithfulness. Emunah in Hebrew. From whence we get amen amen right emuna faithfulness and that that the god who appeared to our ancestors made a lot of promises but they weren't coming yet they were a way way long way away it's now that Yud hay is going to manifest in the world and it's going to show up in god's ultimate fullness and redeem this people and that until this God has not been for the Israelites for or their ancestors has not been for the patriarchs and the matriarchs that full divine force in their story in their lives in their world because it's going to have to wait till now.
0: So is this the time that uh, monotheism starts for Judaism at this
1: point? At which point? At
0: this very
1: statement. Yeah. Um. It's it's an interesting question, but remember, all of this is written, it's written over, the Bible's written over a very long period of time. The idea of monotheism changes dramatically from the earliest texts to Deuteronomy. They are very different monotheisms. You don't really get monotheism until Deuteronomy. This is not pure monotheism, because there's still a recognition of Baal as another God. It's not your God, but there's a sense that Baal is the God of the Canaanites, right? The big fear is you're going to slide back into Baal worship. It doesn't reject out of hand that there is no, there can't be any such thing as Baal because there's only one God.
0: Well, if there's three, monotheistic religions, religion is Christianity and Judaism. If you say, who's the founder? You say, Jesus, Muhammad, and Abraham, don't you? <coughs> no. mm-hmm. Well, how can you be the founder if he hasn't heard the... So true. coming
1: to Torah study every week <laughs> <laughs> makes you not so blithely accept the things that you hear anymore, right? So I'm not going to challenge that Abraham is is not the symbol of the first, right, impulse in Judaism towards monotheism. I'm, yes, of course. And it, it isn't pure monotheism at that point. Other gods are recognized as being, right, in Abraham's time, other, other gods are recognized <laughs> as being at work but not. On our behalf, like we, our loyalty is owed to this one, and later it becomes that there isn't any other ones. There can't be any other ones because Yotzev Ave is in fact the totality of it all. Um, so one interpretation is that you know this God's faithfulness will not be demonstrated until now, so that these people are going to know Moshe and and the people he's about to lead are going to know God in a different way than the ancestors right before them did. OK, that's a lovely interpretation, right? I can, I can get down with that. Is, <laughs> go ahead.
0: <laughs> is, it, is it possible to look at this as sort of a trajectory of consciousness in terms of Abraham being the inspiration, the impulse, the wonder, the big mystery into this distillation, into manifesting form?
1: On Earth. It, it's a lot of where Kabbalah goes, yeah. right? Yeah. Into yeah. Abraham as symbol of, mm-hmm. Moshe as symbol of, right? The mystical tradition very much sees them as symbols. So Abraham has this quality, Moshe has that quality, Yitzchak has this quality, Yaakov has that one, and our job, right, is to manifest all of them as their descendants, right? And and we need different ones at different times to come to the fore, Um and meditating on different names of God in Kabbalah is also another way, right, that we deal with energies and, and what they are and what they mean. And Yodavave is a very different quality from Elohim, right, in, in the Kabbalistic system. And meditating on the different names of God produces different results, right? I'll put in quotes. And yeah.
2: we have Shin on our our big door out to the side of the street. Shaddai. Correct. And how does that?
1: This it's, so it's, um, it is the reason it is on the building um, as a shin is because when you put on uh, up a mezuzah, when you look at the back of a mezuzah, right where it's open, you see a shin that is a uh, scribal tradition is to write on the outside of the cloth. You know, you roll up the cloth, and the scribe writes on the outside of the cloth a shin for a Shaddai. and um, and so Ki. Okay, I mean, I'm imagining. I I'm, I don't know. You would know more than me, but. That's, you know, so that shin is kind of like that's our big mezuzah to the world, right? Um, and the entry point, right? And so the shin is there. You'll often see it on the ark, right, or over the ark, and that is for Shaddai. It is a very old name for God. And scholars, because we see it only in biblical po- poetry that predates this text, remember I, ta- I taught you that the Psalms, many of them are older than this text, we, that's where we see El Shaddai is in very old poetry, which indicates that by the Mosaic period, it is no longer a name for God that's in use. So another interpretation of this verse is, they knew me as El Shaddai, meaning they called me El Shaddai, mm-hmm. but I am the same God that appeared to them. But you all will know me as Yehovah, right? I am revealing another.
2: So, it's an evolutionary
1: process. So, this idea that they knew me as El Shaddai, and now there's a fuller consciousness about, or you're ready for that because you're evolved, or because I'm getting ready to do something that's going to make me more manifest in the world, and you're going to tell the story forever, like, and this will be a definitive moment for you and me as a relationship, you know, me to you as a people. There's lots of ways to understand it, but clearly it is indicating that, that something has shifted, something has changed. You know, the, the moment is at hand.
0: Yes. I'm just trying to understand what you said. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, just I'm just trying to
1: understand what you said. Right. So. <laughs>
0: You're saying in Abraham's time, um, he talked about our God, but there were other gods that were true gods, just not our God. Is that
1: correct? That you One could suggest that the that, the that would have been an Abraham's... And you people. could... First of all, we have to accept that Abraham is a mythic figure. That's number one. He's a mythic figure. There, there was no Abraham, right? So we, I know, Pam. Just hold on. It's okay. Um, right? So he's. He, we're not going to deal with Santa Claus right now, Susan. We're, we're not. We're not going there.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> So so to say what Abraham have thought, right? So so if we put ourselves in the patriarchal period, in the patriarchal period, in very early monotheism, yes, it would have been made a lot of sense that there are lots of gods. Real this gods. is real gods. This, this is our god. This is the god to whom we owe allegiance. Just there are lots of kings, but I only owe allegiance to my king. It doesn't mean that the other kings aren't valid but my loyalty is to this king right who has an exclusive right to my fealty right.
0: and then when we come to Moses the change has there still are real other gods in the world
1: uh, but it's not our god still I mean point, I think if you read the, the Egyptian plague narrative you know they're still using magic you know like his magicians are effective right now But I think that we already, by Moses, have some of the impulse towards those are false gods. But really, it's not till Devarim, till um, Deuteronomy, that we get right. They're trash. Like they're, they're nothing. I am the only true God. For For this,
0: which, which woman was it? Rachel? Rebecca was hauling around
1: the. The, 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 the Right? Floor. Rachel steals the Trafim, the idols, from her father's house. Yeah. She's one right. of our matriarchs here. <laughs> She's carrying around the gods. Right.
0: Right. In, right.
2: in effect, isn't this a way of, of separating the Israel, the non the Hebrew <laughs> people from the rest of the tribes? This is, this is my tribe, and we have our God. Yes. So it's a separation definition, and all of the, the patriarchs and matriarchs really encompass all the human traits that humans have. So each one can represent a particular trait that we are to include in our view of the world.
1: Yes, I think. What, what did you say? What was about the trait? Who has the traits? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I, I was up late last night. All
2: the matriarchs and the patriarchs. All yes. Have, there's jealousy. There's pride. There's speech. There's... I mean, they're, all of the traits that are part of humans become the people that we see, like in the Greek tragedies. Each character represents a particular trait that we are to encompass in our politics. system.
1: That, that is where the, the mystic tradition goes. Yes. yes.
0: Yes. So if Abraham is a mythical and...
1: I never know where Torah study is going. Can I just tell you? Like, I, if you'd have, if you'd, have, all my money, I would not have put on this. But go ahead. All the preparation.
0: Which <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> means there's a lot of mythical begatting in this. Yes. Like, everybody who's begat is mythical. Is there any historical figure in here? Hysterical or historical? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, it's an it's an interesting question. It's a huge topic. We think, yes, there are historical names here. When we get that genealogy, mm-hmm. that genealogy is always P. That's always the priestly author, who's very concerned about this one came from that one came from that one came from that one. So we, we do believe there is genealogical material preserved. Um, yes. So it's a, I know it sounds like a simple answer, but because it, it's a huge, it, you have to ask when. You know what I mean? Like in which period? So certainly P, we believe, has some accurate data. We probably, probably these 12 tribes that we get described were historically tribes that formed a loose confederation in the earliest iteration that we know of as Israel as a nation state. 12 tribes just had this loose confederation that came together. Remember the period of the judges? Which in our collection comes after this, but the period predates a lot of this. The judges... Early Israel, like they just would have been tribes coming together for an, for an emergency in the region. They were allies. It's but it's David who, and we now have post, We now have extra biblical proof of David, mm-hmm. the house of David. We have found archaeology, uh, archaeology. We found archaeological evidence that tells us there was a Beit David, right, a house of David. So. Um, If that is true, then right. So we believe probably those twelve tribes were loosely confederated, right, and and become the the nation state of early Israel. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, it's all good. It's totally all good Um, because this is important. This is a this is an important moment. Like that's I think why we've been talking about it for so long. This is an important moment in the in the turning of. How we talk about God in Torah, but also, as we've said historically, you know, it, it's the turning point, you know, of when monotheism starts to really become, right, much closer to what we'll see later. Uh, there's a wonderful book by Karen Armstrong, who's a former nun, um, and her biography, her autobiography, is fantastic to read. Um, but she wrote a book called The Axial Age, and she believes, as do other scholars, and I've, I keep picking it up and I keep going, oh, I just can't. Like It's like this thick. It's, it's, it's in my bedroom on, on the nightstand where it will probably remain for several more years. The axial age. She believes, as do many scholars, that there is a turning point in ancient Egypt and other places in the world that monotheism emerges at the same time. Mm-hmm. That there, there is an evolution in thought that brings humankind in the region to an understanding of monotheism. And in Egypt it was Akhenaten, right? So we have we have the god remember there was a there was a god who was the only god for a while. Egypt has this this moment of monotheism. But the priests, what do you think the priests felt about that? If if you got one god, who's right? The son of The sun, the sun god. How do you think the the competing priests and the priestesses of Isis? How do you think they're going to feel about that? He's got to go. He's got to go, and so does the pharaoh who supports that religion. They have to go, and all the images in, in Egypt of that pharaoh have been desecrated, right? Because it was so threatening to the polytheistic system of egypt but it is definitely there and it's in the historical record so you cannot convince me you, c- you cannot convince me that that story doesn't have something to do with a prince of egypt who kills somebody is now a fugitive has a desert experience and comes back a monotheist you cannot tell me they are not related We have a story of an Egyptian prince who runs away from Egypt, has a conversion experience, and becomes a monotheist. It it is absolutely, I believe, correct that there is an axial age, and this instinct is there in the region in lots of cultures. And monotheism emerges out of that impulse and and is widespread. In the
2: Western world?
1: In the Western world. No, in, in the West? East.
2: In And well, the, not the not ancient Near
1: East. Yes. But
2: not in Asia.
1: Right. So I, I don't know about that. I because I, I haven't read it. I don't know where the, the limits for her are on that. But I don't and I don't know enough about Asian, you know, the, the cultures of Asia to know if there is also a monotheistic instinct there. But I really need to read the book. <laughs> Keep reading, maybe. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so we've gotten through two sentences. That's, that's good. <laughs> um, all right, so verse 5. VeGamani shamati et na'akat And I now have heard the moaning of the Israelites, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So therefore... Say, therefore, to the Israelite people. Now, this is a charge to Moshe. Go and say to the Israelite people, Ani he he. I am he he. meaning they now need to know God as meaning. And I will free you from the labors of the Egyptians and deliver you from their bondage. Okay. Right. I will free you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and through extraordinary chastisement. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I, Adonai, am your God, who freed you from the labors of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession, I, Adonai. This paragraph, the rabbis hear in this four promises. I will free you, I will redeem you, I will take you to be my people and I will bring you into the land that I swore to your ancestors. Right? What does this match up with? Well yeah, but what what do these four promises match up with? Come on. Come on, think. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> the four cups of wine on Pesach. Oh, it came right. From here. Here. Wouldn't have gotten there. <laughs> Because you didn't read the Maxwell House Haggadah that I grew up with. It took three hours to get through. Because if you'd have read that, you'd know this. The four cups of coffee. The four cups. Of, yeah, you need four cups of coffee to get through that Seder. That's exactly right. So if you read those long Haggadah, Haggadot, it says it, and we say it around the table at Seder, the four cups, I will bring you, and I will free you. And so this is where we get the four, the Arba Kosot for Pesach, these four promises. Yes? Yeah.
2: I've always wondered in reading this why it took God 400 years to free enslaved people So what does
1: verse 5 say? i
0: heard the moaning. Let's see. Verse 5. <laughs>
2: yeah, I've now heard the moaning. So mean, the, rabbinic, about it before? The,
1: the rabbinic tradition is something has changed and what we're told before even this, what we're told uh, at the very beginning of the book of Exodus, is that the people let out a tsa'aka, a cry. Okay. And God hears their cry. And it can't be, as Susan just said, it can't be until that moment. And the interpretation by the rabbis is, and unless and until we cry out against our own oppression, redemption cannot be set into motion. That, that it, I mean, this is all... Midrash an interpretation, right? Because there is no answer why it did it take God 400 years? Because God wanted us enslaved for 400 years, right? So because <laughs> we were going to be enslaved for 400 years. Like there's there there isn't a logical why. But I love the interpret the later interpretive tradition which says because they hadn't they hadn't protested yet, they hadn't cried out yet, they, you know, and that went, once that happens, now the the process of liberation can and redemption can begin. They
0: didn't have the women's
1: march. They didn't what? They didn't have the women's march yet. There you go, right? So until until resistance, until some kind of crying out, awakening, crying out against their own oppression, they were not ready to do what redemption was going to require. Well,
2: it's like alcoholism. You have to recognize that you're an alcoholic, and then you know you want to be redeemed. Right so right so
1: right addiction you know stuff right has has that same idea that you, first you have to be able to say i'm in trouble this isn't working words,
2: you have to ask for help?
1: Yes. yes yes you have to ask for help i had not heard
0: that it's one of my favorites complaining the whole time they were in the <laughs> I mean,
1: that's that's so pam doesn't that. buy it she's like Jews complain at I mean, the drop of a hat times <laughs> are <so>
0: complaining <laughs> <laughs> I think was a worse
1: So po- possibly it gets worse and worse and worse and worse.
2: Yeah,
1: depending on who the pharaohs are. Depending on how harsh the labor is, right? And it's uh, and, and it's gotten worse at this point, it's right? Pharaohs taking away their straw. <laughs> like, it's it's gotten worse. Men- um, mental
0: health treatment <coughs> on
1: this, too. <laughs> on acknowledging.
0: On acknowledging that he
1: right everything does right getting out of stuckness mitrayim the rabbis right read metzarim from the stuck the narrow places that's what liberation is always about moving out of the narrow places and the only way to ever do that is first to acknowledge i'm stuck this hurts i don't like this like this i would like this to change right that's the first thing that has to happen anytime we're dealing with moving you know from constriction into Freedom. And a
0: lot of
1: that 400 years of moaning could be healthy, but... Well, so, so, well, here we are. We're, we're at that, we're at that, Torah beat you to it, I'm sorry, thousands of years ago. Because <laughs> verse 9, that's, ex- what does it say? What's the first word of verse 9? But, <laughs> when Moses told this to the Israelites, they could not listen to, Mo. they would not listen to Moses. Why? Because and the mem here is important in the Hebrew. Lo u el Moshe, they didn't hear Moshe. Me and that is important in the Hebrew because it now it's going to tell you why. What's the cause of the lo sham that they couldn't lo the inability to hear? kotzer ruach. From what does that mean? Read Ephros. Kotzer ruach.
0: Shortness of breath.
1: Kotzer ruach. So we're not going to. It does not mean impatience yet. The yet. Their voices weren't loud enough. Kotzer ruach. What's katsar? Short. What's ruach?
0: Spirit.
1: Ah. Spirit or breath. breath. Either one is katzar. It is short.
2: Meaning they didn't talk loud enough to say it loud enough
0: to be heard.
1: So okay, maybe they're not. They, they let out a cry, but not a big enough one yet. Kotzer Ruach, they're not able to hear me, Kotzer Ruach, from a shortness, a cut-offness of spirit, of breath. What happens when we get uptight and panic? You don't, you, don't breathe. Breathe. you don't breathe. Right? Your breath is constricted. Right? I, every single you cannot look at this and not know that, that, that that's part of what's here, right? It's the kind of you know, panicked, locked up, locked down. Um, situation where you can't breathe. And kotzer ruach, this is why I love Hebrew, because you, you can't breathe, because ruach is about breath. But ruach is also spirit. So in the same phrase, it's talking about the actual physical manifestation of their state. When we get in that state, we know it. We can't breathe. Or we breathe really shallow, right? Or really quick or whatever. And it's also their Existential state in the same two Hebrew words. You can you read both. Is that yes? Yeah, shortness of breath is the physical manifestation of kotzer ruach of shortness of spirit, shortness of right of an abil- or you know, whatever the opposite of it is. Right. Um, now the rabbis want to go to what does it mean, shortness of breath or shortness of spirit, and some of them want to say impatience. But they are they are impatient. They can't. They're you know they're, they they've just they've had it and they just can't and they and they can't hear Moshe. They can't hear. Here's what's gonna happen. Here's they're what's closed. gotta happen. Their their gates are closed. They're closed off um, in their impatience and and suffering and all the, all the craziness. They they can't, they can't listen for the message of Yud Hey Vav Hey. They can't hear it, right? Um, and from so from their Kotzer Ruach, right? Um avodah kasha. See, I don't like this translation. I can't believe I'm arguing with JPS. But their spirits crushed by cruel bondage. Not really. It's from Kotzer Ruach, from a shortness of Ruach, and that there's a vav there, right? And the cruel service, right? It, there's a vav that makes it conjunctive, and, I mean, unless you want to read it as disjunctive and a vav, as but, that doesn't make any sense, right? So that and, I think, means, it's not that their spirits were crushed just by Harba, their spirits are kotzer, are cut off and short. So that's one reason they can't hear Moshe, and they also can't hear him because of the, the harsh servitude. They are, for lots of reasons, they are not able to hear Moshe and hear his message. They are unable to listen to the prophet and to receive the message that God is desperately trying to send. So if you think about it, so you've got Moshe who who doesn't even believe in his own abilities, right? So let's look at 10. yud speaks to Moshe and says, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites depart from the land. What does Moshe say in verse 12? But Moshe... Right. Appears. I mean, um, huh? So Moses speaks before God, lay more, saying, the Israelites would not listen to me. How then should Pharaoh heed me, a man of impeded speech? So poor God. I'm sorry. Poor God is trying desperately to get a message through to these people that I'm on my way. I'm texting frantically, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Moshe, they don't listen to me. And if they're not going to listen to me, where do you think Pharaoh's going to listen to me? Nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's listening to me. And the people are like, la, 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 la. And so, what, Pharaoh?
2: <clears throat> so maybe God
1: is trying. Who's to this yod Get out of my palate. Right? Nobody's listening to yod <laughs> Nobody. So maybe God has been trying for 400 years to get somebody to listen. So this ah. this is another interpretation that God has been wanting them to be redeemed, but they have not been able to listen. I mean, an
2: interpretation that I've that I read about or heard regarding Moses finally responding to God as when, the burning bush, whereas the bush itself could be have been burning forever, and Moses was the one to look at it and look at it differently maybe than other people who have been walking by it all these.
1: Correct. So according to tradition, it has been burning forever. Yeah.
2: And then, then God employs or uses a man who can't speak.
1: So so, so, so that's where we're going. So, thank you. Um, so God is trying desperately to get a message out and nobody's listening.
2: Maybe they can't
0: understand.
1: And and, and Moshe now describes himself as what? tongue tongue Tongue-tied? Ah, okay.
0: <laughs> He's a stutterer. <laughs>
1: so, all right. Here is the actual translation directly from the Hebrew. I am, va'ani, aral svatayim. I am of four-skinned lips. Aral is the foreskin. the lips that aren't, or the tongue that's stuck down. I think he's a stutterer. <laughs> what is that? Moshe has absolutely no problem talking later. None. I don't buy he's a stutterer. I don't buy he's got cleft palate. I don't believe there's anything wrong with his mouth.
2: Maybe he doesn't know how to
1: translate. Shock. So some people want to say he doesn't know, he doesn't know, so he only knows core Egyptian. He doesn't, court, know, Egyptian. Egyptian. He doesn't know how to talk everywhere. to the Israelites because he doesn't know their language. He doesn't know Hebrew. He doesn't speak Hebrew, Ivri, the language of those Ivri. He was raised in Pharaoh's court. All he knows is court Egyptian and now some Midianite, right? He knows Midianite. He married Yitro's daughter. I mean, he married the high priest's daughter, Tzipora. So but that doesn't
0: explain why he can't talk to the Pharaoh because he should be able to speak. He should be
1: able to speak to Pharaoh. He knows Pharaoh's language. Right. He's insecure. That's right. He's insecure. <laughs> no, talk to me about circumcision. It, the only reason we're dealing with a foreskin has to be, has to be, if this is the Jewish people, has to be about circumcision. The prophet tells us that when we repent, when we truly have repentance happen for us, what happens is the cutting away, the circumcision of the heart. Opens the, heart. the circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the thickness that prevents the heart from, from experiencing Tshuva, repentance. And so so if that's a metaphor used by the prophets, and we know circumcision is what? What is circumcision a symbol of? (laughs) Covenant. Oh, my God. It certainly involves pain. It is not a symbol of pain. It is a symbol of the covenant. It is a symbol of covenantal relationship. What is covenant about? Because think of both images, the cutting away of the heart and repentance covenant. What's it about? Ultimately, Belong, belonging, faithfulness. I would use the word intimacy. You cut away the thing the and think about it. Circumcision is about the penis becoming as it is when it is erect. We cannot miss that people or you miss the whole point of circumcision. It it makes the penis look always as it does when it is erect fertility right and that means intimacy with someone else you don't have fertility without that right so it is absolutely tied to sex and relationship cutting away the foreskin of the heart in order to repent is about cutting away the thickness that prevents intimacy with the divine
2: Make sure you write
1: that on the board for, right, right. for the Sunday school class. Right. I'm going to put four-skinned lips on the whiteboard and <laughs> let them deal with that Sunday morning, right? Um, so if, it if I, we I, accept, <laughs> if we accept what I just said, then what does this mean?
2: That he has been... That this
0: is an interesting... He himself has been free. He's, He's, right. like He's like you. He. He.
1: He's not, not he believes he's not, not capable, capable of not worthy. He, he, it doesn't say anything. This is not the narrator. This is Moshe. We always forget that. I forget that. This is not the omniscient narrator saying Moses was of skinned lips, <laughs> right? It's not an accurate description by a narrator that something's wrong with his mouth. He
2: even says, I can't do it. I can't,
1: I can't do it. Pharaoh won't listen to me. I am of four-skinned lips. I might as well have them be completely sewn together, sewn together and a, you know, a piece of skin that grows them. That's, it, that's the stage. place I'm in. I am not able to do this. I am not effective. I cannot achieve the intimacy with them through speech that you want from me. You're wanting me to bring them in relationship with you through trusting that I'm speaking for you. It doesn't work. I tried. He's impotent of speech. That, I believe, is what Moshe is saying. He doesn't believe he can do it. And that he has the power to speak in a way that the people will hear a radically new message. Right. And who would want to do that, by the way? Who would want this job? Go to go to Pharaoh, who you know you don't have a great relationship with, on a good day, and tell him you want to take all the slaves out and that he needs to let them go because vav He said so. Right? Who who wants that job? Who who wants to speak those words? That's not going to be pretty, in any way. I mean, you might as well be asking him to go on a suicide mission. Moshe must understand this on some level as a suicide mission. who who would believe what's going to happen is going to happen right so so on so many levels who of course Moshe's terrified of course and and the people don't listen they don't hear him and we're going to see how often they don't listen (laughs) and we still don't listen which is why our prayer every day twice a day is what Shema Yisrael listen up Israel we don't say a prayer to God twice a day. That ain't about God. Our prayer is, we say it about ourselves. Shema Yisrael. Listen up, Israel. yod vav heh How? Remember that. Listen, Israel. Because you don't listen most of the time.
2: There's something wonderful about choosing this kind of person. To be a leader, yes, not like Trump. <laughs> uh, somebody who's rather insecure, humility, yeah, like us, right? And that—that's sort of an example to everyone that you can find the strength inside yourself if you just get out of your own way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: And if you, if you have emunah, if you have faith, that's how we get out of the way. Because if we're waiting for evidence, like, that can't happen until we get out of the way. Or, you know, it's not going to ever be out there what's going to convince us. It's, it has to be that we get out of the way. And what allows us to do that is faith. And I'm not talking cheesy faith. Right? I'm talking the hard kind of faith, which means in the face of Whatever comes, that we have the capacity, right, to experience it differently, right? And, and it's, um, only when you've been through the windshield that you really get it. That that's the secret, right? It's, when you've been through the windshield a few times, you get what Emunah is about, right? We heard from a master teacher yesterday at Hartman. The board of rabbis invites rabbis to a study session once a month. It's a wonderful um, rabbi from progressive um, presence in Israel teaching at a secular Beit Midrash, a secular institution of learning for Israelis to learn these texts, who are secular Israelis. Because remember, they don't know these texts. You know far more, as we discussed it. I engage, right? Y'all know far Far more, Reuben can run circles around often what right secular Israelis know about these texts because they don't study them. They don't have access in school to these texts, right? They don't get a religious education. They don't get a Jewish education if they're in secular schools.
0: Tell you about a, a of mine who visited from Israel. <coughs> I have only days, I to bring them along. She and I, she I don't have to go. I'm an Israeli.
1: Right. Jewish. Right. I'm Jewish and I'm Israeli and so I know it all. Right. So it's very Israeli. Um, it's very Jewish. Um, so the teacher anyway was talking about his whole lecture with us, his discussion with us was about Moshe and speech. Um, so keep it in mind because I don't want to give a spoiler for when we get to those scenes. But keep in mind um, when Moshe gets fired from the job of being prophet. Um, and... Um, And then when we get to Devarim, right? So Moshe describes himself as uncircumcised lips. And then when he's told he's fired and it's time now for him to go, when it comes time for him to die, he goes up a mountain and does what? Talks. And what does he talk? What's what's his speech? (laughs) The book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Right. The entire book of Deuteronomy is Moshe's farewell address. So we are not talking about a man who doesn't know how to talk, was his point. I and mean, that's where I really got this point about this is Moshe who understands it this way. But he gives the whole book of Devarim as a speech. So he obviously knows how to talk. And he can, right? It's If it's a stutter, it went away, right? Um, and so the, so he's his whole relationship to speech, we're going to... I want us to hold that as we move through the rest of Torah this year, Moshe and, and speech. Um, so you have here uh, the words of Rabbi Bradley Shavit Artson looking at at this Kotze ruach business. Yeah? So go to page two. So it,
0: it was Brad Artson that
2: came and spoke to your study group? So, so Is he what? Rabbi? He, Who spoke to the group? Who spoke to the group? Who was the rabbi? I
1: knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> okay, sorry, but it wasn't Brad Erickson. No, okay. no, no. And I'm like, I have his faith, you know, like I have his bio in my mind and I cannot for the life of me. But I, I will give it to you. Um, okay, so most intriguing of all, perhaps, you see that paragraph in the middle of your page two? Mm-hmm. It's talking about Kotze Ruach. Um, This is the psychological insight offered by Rabbi Chaim Ben Atar. He understands that an effusion of new hope can make suffering even harder to tolerate. So why? what is he saying the kotzer ruach is about? It's about when you're suffering, trying to let in a little dose of hope can make your current situation feel worse. Have you ever been attached to an apartment, and you love your apartment, you love it, love it, love it, and then you know you're going to move? And all of a sudden, you hate that, you hate that, you hate that. There, there's something about our current. Okay, that was a terrible analogy. So, <laughs> st- you, during exams or whatever, that you know it's it's going to be over. But sometimes, like even a taste of that, you, you taking a nap or having a glass of wine, right? It's gonna, it makes it worse that you have to go back to studying.
2: How about losing a person when you know it's going to end, and the pain is so great knowing it's going to happen? And there's hope that maybe maybe you've got another year, another day, or
1: whatever. So that feels different to me than what he seems to be talking about, which is when you know the release from the suffering is coming.
2: Well,
1: and that's a good that's thing. Fine. That that hope that that's going to happen is a good thing. That, but when you actually allow that in when you're in a terrible place, it makes the terrible feel worse. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Um, the closer liberation comes the more difficult it is to tolerate one's oppression the people had good reason for becoming impatient at their fate because when moses had come had come had given them hope that their li- what so is this written is it me okay thank you so moses had come to give them hope that their liberation was close at hand this had given them a new and broader perspective on life So, three different insights. You can read the other ones at home. Um, Ibn Ezra, Rashi, and then we just read uh, Chaim ben Attar. Three different insights each illumine the nature of despair, right? So, he's talking about Kotzer Ruach being about despair. Um, That it can be physically devastating, that it can preclude accepting the good news of redemption, and that hope can itself make a bad reality even less acceptable. There is yet one more comment to make about despair, ancient or contemporary. There are insights that can only be accessed from a place of despair. So think about that for a minute. I love that. There are insights. This is why I was saying about going through the windshield. There are some insights that can only happen when you have tasted despair. There are times when only by hitting rock bottom, being forced to abandon our own self-centeredness or sense of being in control that we can become open to real help from beyond. Only when we despair of ourselves providing ultimate comfort can we then reach beyond ourselves for consolation and help. In the words of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, only those who have gone through days on which words were of no avail, on which the most brilliant theories jarred the ear like mere slang, only those who have experienced ultimate not knowing, the voicelessness of a soul struck by wonder, total muteness are able to enter the meaning of God, a meaning greater than the mind. There is a loneliness in us that hears. When the soul parts from the company of the ego and its retinue of petty conceits, when we cease to exploit all things but instead pray the, world, the world's cry, the world's sigh, our loneliness may hear the living grace beyond all power. Okay, I just got it chills right that I'm not sure anything about what he just said <laughs> but I think it's one of the most profound things I've read in a long time right I'm not sure what it all means he's like that Heschel's like that right if you read Heschel you highlight 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 and then it's like okay it's gonna take me six months to understand what he's saying but right I think this is something about that there's something about that place of deep loneliness existential despair and loneliness that, that is the only thing that pushes us past our own petty self-conceit to access that which is beyond, the living grace beyond all power. Only when we are completely powerless sometimes are we able to get past ourselves enough to access the self of the universe. I'm not sure you
2: can't understand it. That is right.
1: Intellectual. R- right. I
2: think you have to... See,
1: recognize it, experience. right? Experience it, and and I think once you've been through the windshield, you know what he's talking about, right? Such a good advertisement and segue, um, <laughs> Paula, right? That that's why we stay for meditation. That's why we sit after this is to come out of the head, right, and into that heart. And to stay with our loneliness, to access our loneliness, our fear, our hurt, our whatever, in such a way that allows us to expand past it, to hold it, to stay with it, to enter it, so that we can expand. doesn't mean, okay, now that's gone. It means I am more than that. And the spaciousness that we create around that is the point of the practice, to create the patience to hold what happens to us with a lot of space around it. Because then we don't have to act out of it all the time. We can access the living grace beyond all power and take that half a second before we speak when we're triggered, if we create enough space.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California.